You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 105. 105, Bob. Can you believe it? Mm, no, I don't know how people are still listening to us. I don't us. know why they're listening to us. Oh, this is the Library Pros Podcast. <laughs> you chose us. It's Chris. And I'm Bob. And today we're coming to you from the Library Pros Studios on Long Island, New York. The Library Pros Podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. And please check us out on Twitter, Facebook, now X, right? Not Twitter. Yeah. On X, Facebook, and now Instagram. Please tell your friends and colleagues about our podcast because it's you, the listener, who helps this podcast grow. All right. So joining us today is David Ecker. We're just going to call you Dave because you're fine. Dave, right? Yeah. I'm Dave. He's from Stony Brook University and working in a whole bunch of other places. So uh, he's a repeat guest from episode 11 and a friend of the podcast. And it's always great catching up with you, too, because we talk outside of doing this, too. Um, so... We're going to chat about the tech world and how it's adapting to cool new tools that are out there and how leaders are sometimes reluctant to embrace technology. We're going to use that dirty word called change today. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know, right? So it's – and we, we may even dabble in some entrepreneurship too because I know that's a thing for you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so thanks for coming on again. It's so great to have you. Um, last time we spoke, you were leading – Makerspaces at Stony Brook University. So what have you been up to since you were last on the podcast, which was episode 11, Bob? Can you believe it? No, I, we were virgins. I was going to say, I want to say, can't believe it was episode 11. You guys have come a long way, and your listeners should give you a round of applause because oh this is a great it's podcast. Great. I think I had that sound effect. <laughs> yep. We, we, can, we won't be able to hear it. Yep, it's actually playing right now. We're getting applause. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Uh, so what's happened? Well, since I last was here, uh, we had a pandemic, and that was a major thing that happened, and I have to thank Chris and all the other libraries. They pitched in with us, and we were able to produce face shields for first responders, and we, we at Stony Brook did 5,000, but I know it with all our partners, we did thousands to save and help first responders with face shields. So that was a major thing that happened. After then, unfortunately, Stony Brook went through an administrative change, and we broke down all our six makerspace studios and have none at this point. We gave away $750 three-quarters uh, of a million dollars of equipment, to all kinds of faculty and staff on campus. Wow. And all our renovated facilities that we had shown other people are now gone. And we're using one of the rooms as an active learning space. The other, they're still trying to figure out what to do with. Others are being put into classrooms, offices, and whatever else. But Stony Brook basically took a major step back from the makerspace movement Due to funding is what I was eventually told. But rumors are they want to bring it back now year and a half after they just closed it. Brilliant. <laughs> exactly. Uh, academia. Don't you love academia? Yeah. And then where I've gone from that is I went into AI, and I got really involved with AI and prompt engineering, which we'll talk a lot about. I also started to adjunct. I adjunct at SUNY Old Westbury. Uh, SUNY Cobaskill, and then I write books, 
and I'm trying to explore podcasts. I run a YouTube site, and I'm an entrepreneur on the side doing a number of different things, as I kind of mentioned to you guys in the past. So cool. You, I, I love how you always have like at least five or six <laughs> irons in the fire. I do. I have to keep myself busy, and my wife and I are really dedicated and driven, so we want to keep doing other things because my other thought process is I'm thinking of retirement. How many more years that we have to start thinking about it, and what do I want to do after? I've been working since I'm 13 years old. You can't just, like, stop. So, and I have to figure that out is what's the next career after this one, and what is that? And you have to experiment and see. You're only going to find out if you try, right? Yeah, exactly. And how many of us do we really have interest anymore? Used to, we're all tech people. We like tech for one reason or another. That's when our lives for everything. Now we have to figure out, is there change? Do we want to continue doing that? Or do we want to just dabble and see how it goes? Right. And can our brains and synapses actually absorb the new stuff coming in? Because I know my synapses are like, not today, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what's changing. You're seeing that a lot, where the tech's going faster than we can keep up. And we're not... 22-year-olds anymore. No. And these these students and these guys are playing with stuff faster and changes faster. So I can't even play PlayStation anymore. <laughs> too many damn buttons. You, you mean you don't know which of the buttons anymore? I don't know. Okay. Oh, I know. I have to get my son to teach me. And... I reverted to the 2600 again. I'm back <laughs> to Atari, playing Adventure and Defender. And <laughs> well, that's so much easier. One button and a joystick. There exactly. you go. Until you break the joystick. But now we can 3D print a replacement. Exactly. Right? So you're set. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Why not live in 1982, right? 2600 is a lot more fun, too, anyway. It is. Well, it's a lot you... more challenging for the delay when you click the button on the remote. <laughs> on the screen, right? Yeah. You remember the delay? You have to like make sure when to push it, too. I remember on Pitfall, if you pushed it too early, you always got hit, eaten by an alligator. Yes. Yep. Yes. That's right. Exactly. Or if you're on Channel 11 and you're playing the Pix game, remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. It was, so for those of us that are not in New York and not are the same age, it was ColecoVision, right? It was yes. the new ColecoVision, and it was a game where you had a site, and it was in space, and the bad guy alien ships would fly past your site, and you, it, how you played the game was you would press the button every time they crossed the site so you can blow up the ship. But because this is a call-in thing, and they did it like twice during the cartoons in the afternoon, right. billions of kids from all over the tri-state area in New York, Connecticut, yeah. and New Jersey were trying to call in so they could play this one game so they could win, what was it, a lousy T-shirt or something? Yes. And instead of pressing the button, the kid on the phone had to say, it was WPIX in, in New York, mm. and they had to say picks every time they wanted somebody <laughs> to shoot. And it was a quarter of a second delay, because especially if they were list watching over the air, right. because you know the signal needed time to get there. So these poor kids are saying, picks, pick, And one, the kids finally figured it out, and they're like, just, they just said, picks, 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 picks. <laughs> and, and then it kind of just ended the whole thing, but... Yeah. yeah, talk about your delay, right? Exactly. Well, that's yeah. the whole thing. When you get to these old games, you got to think of delays where now there you have to have a 4K TV to actually play something and that's crazy. Right, exactly. You can plug it in and the kids will never know the struggle. My god. Or, or reaching behind the TV and switching the the, the TV to an, the antenna to to game. Yes. Uh, what was that? It was like a switch box or something? Yeah, it was like an AB or ABC yeah. switch or something. Yep. It, and it was hooked weird. up to the two antenna leads. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, I have a quick historical side story. I was at the DMV yesterday getting my daughter her permit. And this is when I knew that we were in a different world. Uh, the gentleman next to me had a problem. 
and he was explaining his problem to the DMV clerk. And he said, you know, I've, I'm really confused. I have this issue. And the DMV clerk said, don't worry, sir. I'm here to help you. <laughs> and I almost lost my mind because I used to spend hours online registering cars and getting, you know, and going through tests. My kid spent eight minutes in there and, and they're all so happy and so there to help. And I'm like, oh, my God, my kids will never know the struggle of of change in general, and much much less technology. Eight minutes? Oh, you mean you didn't have the Eight wrong minutes. form, Bob? I always no. went off with the wrong form, and then they would yell at me, and then I'd have to get back online and sit there for another hour as pedants for bringing the wrong form. It's a different world. Everybody on the road is is aggravated and frustrated, and people at the DMV are happy having coffee and having a great time. And it's it's amazing. It's we literally are living in Biff Tannen's 1984. Yes, exactly. You did not go to the Medford office at the DMV. I did. Really? That's where we went. I was there eight minutes. It's Biff Tannen's 1984, man. It's I'm telling you. Wow, Wow. that is really a cool reference. I like that. That is nice. Yeah. Yeah. We just lost right, so everybody who is... <laughs> no, or maybe they're following us more because this is like real life. So or they're just Googling the hell out of this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but that's definitely, you see that change. If that's happening in the DMV and it's happening in technology, what else is going to happen? Right. And you can see that things are just going to be more smooth. I'm surprised you actually had to go into the DMV. Why can't you just use an app? Funny enough, she took the, bro- she took the permit test at home. Yep. Uh, at our kitchen counter and passed wow. it and then had to go to the DMV literally just to get a piece of paper. It was wow, totally different. And I, and I tried to explain. They didn't care. Uh, my daughters did, did not care. I tried to explain the struggle. And they were like, yeah, yeah, Dad, let's go get some pizza. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't get – this, like, this is one of my kids says to me whenever I start explaining something. Okay, old man. <laughs> mm, yeah, I no, I paid for her permit, so there's no way she was getting away with calling me that yesterday. But – you know, just the change. In some ways, in that particular way, technology has made things easier because my daughter had a great time where I would stand online with a dozen pieces of paper for three hours to register a car. So in that way, technology has helped. Um, but in other places, technology makes things a little less personal. And uh, hey, if it makes the people at DMV happy, I am all for change. Yeah, but if you think about disruption, you can see that DMV now got disrupted and now changed that way. But if you look at the pizza place that you probably went to, that hasn't been disrupted for years. Probably same good pizza that you, they just enjoyed. It's the same seats. So I'm like, come on, kids. I sat right here and waited two and a half hours to register a car. Sit down. Exactly. Piece of pizza. Yeah. <laughs> so Dave, we're on, so we're on this, the tech side of things. It's, it's such a unique perspective to see how tech can continue to help what we do. There's a bunch of examples. So I guess we can call ourselves technologists uh, for the last couple of years and in a way because of how we see the world and how tech helps us. Would you agree with that statement? I would completely agree with that statement. I think tech is really making us more productive and easy to use. You think about now, there was this uh, change of everybody getting a tablet. Tablets are out. People want phones and laptops. And now, if you don't have like an Apple or a Windows laptop, people like go, okay, what are you doing? And how's that going? Because that's where things are going. We, we thought phones were going to be like this giant leap, and they are. But, like, I don't see that foldable phone really coming in to make a difference where you saw Samsung starting to do that. It's not. Everybody's just jumping on their uh, laptops wherever they are. And now when you get battery life, like, my laptop has a battery life of, like, eight hours. That's unheard of. And I hear some have 10 hours, whatever else. 
you don't ever need to charge it. You charge it in the morning, you pick it up, and you go. And you could see it now being that way as a complete change. And I also think the change that's happening now, everything going to USB-C, and it will take some years, but I think that will stop all these mess of cables that we're so used to having every cable in the world. USB-C, Lightning, uh, a micro USB for Android. Adapters everywhere, yeah. Right, adapters everywhere. I think that's going to go away, and you're just going to have to have USB-C, and then you won't even need it. Everywhere you go will be either a plug or an adapter to go in, and then you're set. And if that's where we see technology going from the standard side, what other things are going to come out of that as we start going forward? Yeah, because the less hardware that's involved, the more brains can actually work. Right. And I think that will be a great change as we start thinking about where things are going from a makerspace side to everything else as you start thinking about it. Because it would be easier just to say, you know what, Chris, I want to take your printer, 3D printer from here. I'm going to bring it over to Bob's shop and just do it. Don't have to bring anything. Just have to put the printer in the car and move it. That's so much easier than thinking about, okay, software compatibility, hardware, all this other right. stuff. We don't need to anymore. And if it, that's where the future's going, what other things can adapt as we do that? Well, you know, it's funny you say that too because I was doing something on my iPad and it was something I needed to get onto my work computer. Right. I'm like, oh, if they only had AirDrop. Yep. Because then I had to pop it up to Dropbox, wait for it to upload the Dropbox, then log into Dropbox on, I'm, I'm complaining, this is first of all problems, right? Mm-hmm. But like then, oh, I don't remember my password for Dropbox. Now I'm trying to do- dual authenticate to get into Dropbox. I finally get into Dropbox, download it to my computer, and now I can finally do what I want to do with it. It's like, oh my God, AirDrop. Right. No wires. Yeah, and then just bringing your phone together. Like my wife and I just got, T-Mobile gave us uh, new iPhone 15s. And she needs some. She just brought my phone together and somehow transferred it. I go, how'd you do that? She goes, I read the instructions. You could do that. I was like, okay, I'm the tech guy. I don't even know how to do that. Right. And I'm like going, okay, this technology just keeps changing. You going and saying, okay, I have to take some from my phone, go to either Dropbox, Google Drive, or OneDrive's, upload it, then go to my – uh-uh. This should not be as hard, and I think that's the seamless that's going to start changing – as we've seen it. Apple started to do that on its own platforms, but I think it has to be cross-platform in whatever way we're doing it. We have to be able to go between any system we can. And, you know, that's that's what we're talking about now with iMessage versus non-iMessage and, and the hopeful um, evaporation of SMS moving into that new format where we can send a message and it sends out in two formats. But why in the U.S. are we using still text messaging and we haven't gone over to, like, WhatsApp? Which is what Europe is using in Australia. And Well, whenever I travel, I have to be on WhatsApp. I was in Costa Rica recently, and the guy's like, well, just call me on WhatsApp, whatever else. I'm like, okay, do I have that app? Oh, yeah, I have to get that, whatever. And I think that's something we're missing in the U.S. to communicate with the rest of the world because they're all doing it. Everywhere except China, because China uses something else. But. Right. See, we need Ted Lasso to bring uh, snap <laughs> to bring that to us, like he did with soccer. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to get into the weeds in some of the cool tech that's out there in a few minutes. But have you ever had one of those moments when something just clicks in your head, and you think instantly, 
how it can help make your job faster and more efficient, et cetera, things like that, where it, it's like we were talking about airdrop and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, has there ever been something like that where you can see it that you use in your personal life and then boom, you're like, I can use this application for X, Y, Z, all the entrepreneurial things, going over to Old Westbury, things like that. So I had a problem, and I can tell you an app that popped in my head, and this is an app. So I have an iPhone. I use it all the time. I now starting to drive a little bit, about 30 to 50 minutes, sometimes sitting in traffic to do errands and things like that. And I like to speak out loud and record when I'm speaking, but get an accurate recording. And I've not found an app to do that until I found this one called AIKO. It's a AI app that will transcribe what I'm saying and then send it to an AI and turn it into exactly what I said. And it's completely accurate. And I love being able to use it. And I found it really works like if I'm writing a book or even if I'm thinking about an email as I was driving here. It's like a 30-minute drive for me. I was thinking, I'm like, you know what? I need to schedule interviews and do some other things, but I want to have these questions answered. Turn the app on and just start speaking out loud about the questions, whatever else. It was a 10-minute kind of thing, me talking to myself. But then I hit transcribe. It went out and did whatever. By the time I came back, the questions were, like, perfect. So it also cleaned up the language? Yeah, it cleaned up the language and everything else. It organized it, and I was like... It knows what I'm saying. And I needed something like that, not just a dictation. I needed something I cleaned it up and was able to interpret what I said because I know I slur my words once in a while and everything else. We all do that. And that's something I can see turning into productivity on sitting at my desk. We speak so much faster than we actually write. If I can actually have something that does that, turn it into written language, I don't have to worry about this endless emails that we constantly get and we have to send. I can just like whip through them really quick and then have some time to actually think and think about the future and think about what technology we're using and learn about that technology. Not always doing spreadsheets and endless other stuff. That's a not a waste of time, but not always an efficient use of what we need as technologists. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they have spread- a question. You might you might not know the answer to this, but that I'm just looking that app up now. It it looks um, it looks really awesome. Do you know if it saves the recordings and, and so, that kind of stuff? So I it puts it into the app, and I'm able to share it. I share it to my Evernote, or I share it to another app, and then I'm able to do what I want with it. Nice, but I mean, I guess it doesn't save it on their side. Like, who's let's say you have some million dollar idea, whose intellectual property is that if they have it and share it and you know, what gets done with all that? What's in the privacy policy behind that awesome technology is what... Exactly. And I don't know what the privacy policy is. I actually wouldn't use it for my awesome ideas. I I basically would go and pull over and write something down. And put it on our podcast is what you would do with it. Exactly. Exactly. I could do that. (laughs) But I I don't use it for that purposes. But you could, as you start thinking about it, what you have to do. Privacy always comes into effect, Bob, and that's one of those things that even when we get into other ideas and thinking about privacy is always one of those worries you have, privacy and copyright. I try not to overstress about it anymore because every idea that anybody comes up with, somebody already did. Like if you think about Airbnb, the biggest company we all know about, whatever else, 
What was before then was VRBO. And I used to do VRBO. My wife had a rental. I would get checks to do it. The only thing Airbnb did was it accepted credit cards and did it over the website. But the idea had already existed, was people renting from each other's houses. It just changed. They just found a way to do it without violating copyright or patents or whatever. Right, or more accessible is exactly what Bob said. So I think both ways are doing it as we figure it out. So not as much worried about that idea because it's more that implementation because that's where we're more intelligent than the actual idea. Wow. Yeah, in the tech world, you don't want to be the first to market. You want to be the second to market because you fixed the stuff that the first to market guy did. Exactly. (laughs) And then also you can piggyback on all their marketing because you can say, oh, they did that and that got people's attention or they just wasted all that money. I'm not going to waste that money. I'm going to do it a different way. That's right. Or or look at all the holes, you know, so you have six months for people to be like, oh, this thing sucks (laughs) and then make it better. You know what I mean? I mean, that's what, listen, that's what Lyft did. I mean, that's what I'm. What's what's the name did with Lyft? Lyft was out there first. Lyft had a lot of drawbacks and a lot of you know issues, and then uh, Uber. Uber made it made it made it straight up and fixed all the problems, and, and that's why Uber took off. Oh yeah, well that's why I think you're going to see that in a lot of technologies as they keep coming out now. You see everybody racing to get to be first at the finish line, but it's not first. You're right. The ones who win are the second and third ones because they still keep going. Yeah. You know what I want to see, Dave and Chris, you might agree to that. I want to see somebody that when they develop something, they say, should we? Not not can we, because we can develop anything now. It's it should we, because there's so much junk on the marketplace now. Even when it comes, comes to AI, there's so many apps that aren't vetted for quality or for what they do with, you know, with what you're asking to happen. I just wish they would ask, like, should we do this? You know, not, not can we, but should we? You sound like Jurassic Park. I know. <laughs> life, life will make a way, right, Chris? Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, it's a good question. I think you're right. People just want to bring it to market, not should we do it. So, But the entrepreneur in me really wants to say, did we do any customer analysis or understand really what's needed in the marketplace before we just go and make something? That's an interesting perspective. And I think we've come to where we have a marketplace where we can actually ask and get good feedback. Not like Steve Jobs' marketplace was, the customer doesn't know that they want this because it's not out there yet. But to your point, we have enough in the marketplace to say, do you want this or do you want that? Yeah. Right, exactly. And I think that's where the, really where we can bring influence as the next level of technologists where we start looking at not only what the technology is, what does our customer want and how do we bring it to them? And if you go back to like makerspaces a little bit, we have to think about that and try to make that change of now what all this other technology we can buy, but what are they really going to use? Correct. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to take a short break because we're going to get into this even more in, in detail. Uh, and when we're going to come back, Dave, Dave's going to be hitting us with all kinds of knowledge on some of the tools that are out there that he hasn't already shared. And how to make our lives better, and and how to deal with the ugly word change. So we will be right back.
We are back here on the Library Pros podcast with our old friend, not old in age, Dave. So we apologize. I'm completely old, old in age. Old That's fine. I, I was going to say, I'm it's, 50. I'm all good. It's old as in, as in episode 11. That's all. So <laughs> there we go. Back. Welcome back, Dave Ecker. So before we get into the new tech stuff libraries should be thinking about embracing, let's first talk about time. Time's a bitch, isn't it? It is. It is. I know. Did we say that? I just did. <laughs> Oh, well. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Okay. Exactly. So I know you're an effective time manager. And how important is time management? And what are the biggest mistakes managers making that can easily cor be easily corrected, whether it's something simple or whether it's something that can be used with technology? I think time management's the end-all, be-all, as you think about it, because we always have more work to do than we have time to do it. But I think you have to start thinking about time management in a different way. And the thing that I found that worked really well for me is a couple things. One, when I get up in the morning, I write three things I want to accomplish that day. And it could be as have a successful podcast, have a good meeting, or send one email. It doesn't have to be really difficult stuff. Could it even be less stuff? The reason for it is by doing it, you feel like you've successfully done something and that's a starting point for dealing with time management as you start to think about it. I then also believe in block scheduling. I will block out part of my schedule to actually do work. So I like to leave the end of the day, whatever day that ends, the last 45 minutes, an hour, to just see what I did and what I didn't do. And then I'm able to grab back time as I figure that out. And then if you have a project you're working on, most people don't start a project to three or four days before it's due. I'm not one of those guys. I'm one of the guys who will say, you give me a project today, it's due two weeks from now. I'm going to work on it 15 or 30 minutes every day between now and then. By doing that, I'm starting to manage my schedule and my time better so that I'm able to better figure that out. And I think if we start looking at some techniques like this, as technology comes in and changes all the time, we don't have to rush and jump on it or have to figure it out because we're able to spread it out a little bit. And that's where I think time management change is happening because when you get into the AI products, it's trying to help you be more productive and do stuff. You need to have that time back to really utilize the products in a right way. When we're just rushing to get stuff done, you're never going to get the right result. And I've seen that over my almost 30 years of my career where people rush. And some people are great writers, so you don't really know that they rushed. But when you ask them details, they don't have it because they rush through it. And that's not really where we need to start being as technologists. We need to have some depth also as we do stuff. So, in terms, so I'm thinking even just... It, 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 as you're saying that, the concept of typing your notes mm -hmm. versus writing your notes. Correct. It's like you have more skin in the game when you're writing the notes because you physically created those words that you heard versus just regurgitating and typing without even really paying attention. The, the court stenographer kind of thing. Yeah, and I found when I actually type stuff, I forget what I write. When I actually physically write it down, it is less words on the page, but I will remember more of what I wrote. And I don't know if that's just my brain or other people's brains, but there's some uh, research on it that when you physically write something, you remember it better. 
It really is. It's it's interesting because I, I think it has to do with it. you're actually making something yeah. as opposed to just regurgitating. Um, but now if we could just correct the problem with how slow we write versus typing and how our handwriting <laughs> looks. <laughs> well, I don't think they teach handwriting anymore. They Bob, don't. your kids are younger. Do they teach handwriting in school anymore? They do only because they so two of them go to private school and they do teach. They did teach cursive. My uh, public school daughter, who's uh, now nine, they do not teach handwriting skills. Oh, wow. I mean, right out of elementary, they, they really don't know. They don't really do it, especially not cursive, which uh, we had to teach her at home. So. That's crazy. Uh, which I think is an art. I mean, like calligraphy. I had to take calligraphy in school. I, you know, I don't think that's being done. Yeah, well, that's going to have an impact on her life when you start thinking about it. What happens when she has to, like, buy a house? Yeah. How many signatures and things you had to write? And there that's wasn't going to be block letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, it'll, it's it's going to be, um, you know, that's like the auto signature anyway, so it'll just look like your name, you know. Well, that could be it. It could be like what they do in Adobe Reader now. You just say, oh, put your signature in. Okay, put your name. Is this good enough? Yeah, here you go. Yeah, DocuSign, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VeriSign, DocuSign, all that stuff. Exactly. No, but so we, we taught her at home, You know, the one that's in public school. We taught her at home. And she uh, they taught it in private school, not in public. And I'm thinking about actually signing them up to take calligraphy because I learned so much you know, about uh, writing and, and, and your signature style through through that. So. Oh, I should really do that because I have a horrible signature. So, well, you're meant to be a doctor, Dave. That's all. It's okay. No, I just I, I if I'm really signing something, it looks better, but I just don't care anymore. So, yep. That's what. So, happens. rolling the idea of time management into tech, which is uh, something we love to talk about, um, I think we could all appreciate that. With the rise of AI and bots, uh, can we make what we do in libraries and makerspaces less burdensome? Uh, something as simple as stat gathering to workflow to actually doing the work. Tell us what tech is out there that you can see benefiting a manager of a makerspace, a department, or even a library in general. So I think you're really starting to look at, as we started to talk about, is the cloud platforms and everything being on the cloud. And we will always have spreadsheets, but I don't think spreadsheets will be individualized anymore. I think everybody's going to be either in O365 or Google Sheets, and basically you're going to have stuff shared amongst everybody, and workflows will happen that way as they do that. So I'm thinking from a manager standpoint, it's embracing that kind of stuff and seeing how that workflow goes, because as we start thinking about it, you want to be able to just make a copy of it once after the other and continue to use it. And I also think templates are really going to be another way of workflowing, doing stuff. If you think about 3D printing, for example, how many times you do something and then you have to duplicate it, whatever else. We have to start thinking about how do we do that on even like a Suffolk County library system where you have stuff shared amongst everybody that prints whenever you need it. And it's easy to get and nobody's recreating the wheel. As we think about libraries, makerspaces are doing that, that sharing capabilities of now software files and other things, I think is the next stage as we start thinking about it. Also, I think about where is makerspaces and libraries going to go? I was just commenting how great I love those cafes in the libraries now, and I got like tea in the 
this one over here. I think that is now making it more personalized. But I also think we have to start thinking about how do we get libraries to help patrons think a little bit. And what I mean by that is I work at higher ed. We're seeing every student use AI all the time. But when you leave higher ed, maybe young kids are doing it in elementary, but AI has so many other things. And I think that AI features have to help people learn to think in using it in libraries and other things because they're not going to realize how it can help their lives or how it influences their lives. We all love Tesla and his self-driving cars or whatever else. That is an AI doing some stuff there. And it's thinking about it and making decisions. If people don't understand that, they're going to get scared. And we all care about climate change. We all want to live on this planet many more years. We have to understand how that technology is going to influence us and either say there's problems with it or embrace it by understanding it. So I think from a manager standpoint, that's kind of stuff we have to start at least embracing and thinking about from futuristic side as we get into it. I'm just thinking about all the stats sheets that I've been making and, and pushing from one sheet to another sheet to another sheet to another sheet to finally get to the, the landing page where we can then compile all these New York State stats to send them to New York State. Mm -hmm. And you know, just in terms of I learned a lot using Google Sheets versus Excel on how to link different sheets because you have to use a command and then the link for that particular page. And I find it fascinating and actually easier than using Excel. Yeah. But all I keep thinking is next year in January, I have to do this all over again. Well, you may not have to. I found yesterday in Microsoft Copilot, I was able to ask it to generate stuff because I'm using a protected version that's just that has all kinds of privacy for Stony Brook and put in data, it made it into a table that I completely put into an Excel sheet and was able to manipulate it. And I did it in minutes. Wow. So I'm wondering if that technology is really going to start helping you as you do it because you can just say, I have this information. Can you put it into this format, blah, 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 and it will generate it. And then all you have to do is the linking and the other oversight as you do it. Right. That would make you more productive. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's for me now, it's spending four hours putting the sheet together. So now when I do my stats and I get the, the email from administration saying, to, you know, stats are due on the 5th. And all I need to do is look at the stats. Okay, it's all imported and send the link. Correct. And that, that would be so much easier as you do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's coming. I don't know if it's six months, a year, or two years out, but I think more people are doing that because nobody wants to do TPS reports anymore. <laughs> and we can't just continue to do that. We have to come up with other ways of doing stuff so we're not wasting time. Yeah, you're not wrong. But I also think the economy is changing also because you have to realize staffing is getting hard. and They're not hiring extra staff, so we have to figure out how do we be more productive with the technology tools. Exactly. So the next question has to do with that dirty word. Get ready to bleep us, Apple, and everybody else listening. It's, cha it's called change. Yeah. So it's a simple word, but it's one of the tallest mountains to climb when it comes to library land. So how do we overcome the resistance to change with these disruptive technologies and actually get our colleagues to embrace 
not even doing it, but the concept of doing it in a different way and without having to listen to it. But that's the way we've always done it. So what I found the best way to do that, and I'm going to use AI as an example. So I've been basically using AI and teaching AI to anybody who's uh, at Stony Brook who's in a staff member position who writes letters, whatever else. And I went and asked them, and I said, what is some of your biggest time that you spend doing? And one of them was writing a letter for the VP or whatever else. So I had them log into ChatGPT, and I said, who's the letter for? It's for Chris. Here's what it needs to say. Here's how to say it. And it's going to be an email, and it needs to be a paragraph only. I said, okay, let me show you. I typed that into ChatGPT, and the letter was written with a snap of my finger. And the person sitting there was like, they just wrote that letter. I just don't like this word. Can I change that word and put it into an email? I said, yeah. Click copy. They pasted it in. They changed the word. And they hit send. And they said, that was fast. So I think if you can get people to embrace what they do and use like a chat GPT. Now, again, not worried about privacy at this moment because there are some privacy concerns with the large language models. But if you can get some of the repetitive tasks and they can see how it's going to help them to either gain back that time when we talked about time management or adopt to change, they may not realize they're changing, but it will help them to make those jumps. The best way I've ever seen somebody change is by not knowing they changed. Because if they're actually asked to change, they will always say no. But if you can show them something that doesn't make them think they change, it will be better for them, and then they'll adopt it. That makes a lot of sense because when you have people who don't want to do something, but yet they say, I say, let me show you this. This is really cool, and show them how to do it and show them how easy it is, then they've changed without even knowing it. Correct. And you see that more and more. Like I ran a class on uh, email etiquette and everything else, and the guy's like, well, I don't like that title I came up with. And I said, well, he's like, I would like to have five other choices. I said, well, tell me. And I opened my phone, opened ChatGPT, typed it in and gave it to him. He's like, I love that one. Can I use it? I'm like, sure, go ahead. Mm -hmm. He's like, how'd you do that? And then I showed him on his laptop how to log into ChatGPT. And he's like, okay. He must have been in his 70s. And I could see that little difference was going to help him to do what he was trying to do. As we start doing that, that's the kind of thing we have to do as we figure that out. Well, it's even happening now with Adobe. Like yeah. If I'm working on, uh, let's say we're making posters for the district for senior day for whatever sports team, insert sports team here, mm -hmm. uh, I can now say to, to Adobe, to, uh, to Photoshop and say, um, remove the background. Instead right. of going into file or, you know, go to document and edit and you know, try to find the routine in order to get to it and then defining it. It does, it's not 100% there. You know, sometimes a knee or a, a foot gets chopped off, but for the, but you're allowed to drag those lines to bring them back. But it just, how far away are we from Star Trek and computer? <laughs> We're close now. I, I can tell you with Copilot, I was able to push a button on Copilot and said, ask me a question. It went and answered and read it back to me. And basically, I now see 
where Google's going. Google's working on this product, I think it's called Loomis or something, that it's going to do AI generation of videos and release later this year in 2024. If it does that, I think we're going to start seeing audio be right behind it. Because there's this app, it's called Suno, it plugs into Copilot, I know, and it will generate a song for you. And that the copyright does say they own any songs it generates, but it will generate a song and I think it will sing it. Wow. I think if we're starting to think that way, this is where it's going. So I think when you're saying remove background, I think it's a lot closer than we think as you start doing it. We're sitting in this room with a green screen. We're not going to need them anymore. You just need a plain background, and it can do it. We've seen this come a, come a, come along a long way. I didn't even know, like with Google Photos, they have that where remove photos, or even just it's the magic eraser where it just erases stuff mm-hmm. in the background. I think it's great if I can just erase everybody else in my pictures, then I'm good. So, so the question is for all us Long Island people: the new Billy Joel song coming out, did he really write it? well but that's the whole thing you get into publishing everybody's wondering did an ai write it or did you write it because now this is what happens and that was a big hang up with uh, the actor strike and the writer strike correct yeah i mean but in hindsight if it's okay if the writers use ai to write and then sell it versus you know the studios creating the the stuff and canceling and 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 firing the writers. Well, but that's where the economy's got to change and where we start thinking about it. What's our jobs going to look at in, in 20 years? And we have to start thinking about that us in libraries and everything else even in 5 years. I was just going to say in 5 years we have to be concerned about before yeah. we even retire, Dave. Right, but you just think about it. in the next 5 years where's your job going to be? You guys all do fantastic stuff with technology and libraries, but what's going to be that next thing? What's basically the high school kids, the college kids going to need to do that? And a lot of it, they're just doing on their computers. Mm -hmm. But we have to start redefining that outlook as we think about it. And I don't know where it's going. Books still have a place. But I think it's going to be more like audiobooks and other ways of bringing information. I also have learned nobody reads anymore. Everybody just skims. Control F, right? Correct. <laughs> How do you overcome that from a technology standpoint and help people to get information if they're just skimming? Because they're not reading and learning. Correct. And they're not retaining and getting information that would help them to be better. So I'm thinking in terms of, I mean, this is going back to the Stone Age when I wrote my thesis for my undergrad. Mm-hmm. I went to St. Joseph's College, not St. Joseph's University, excuse me. Yes. Um, and I was writing a thesis on Quebec separatism, which is, you're not going to find that at St. Joseph's University. Right. I say in air quotes. Uh, so where did I end up? The, the tombs of Stony Brook University, <laughs> where all of the journals were. And where did, what kind of journals did I need? Canadian journals. Right. So thank goodness they had McLean's and a bunch of others. And here I am pulling them, first going into a book with an index and doing subject searches and then pulling those articles and then probably getting hand cancer from all the copies that I made. Right. And then you have to read and digest every single one. And you had the good pile and the bad pile. Yeah. And then you, I could probably, what took me eight months of research to do, I can probably do in four hours now just with control F. But the difference is I wouldn't have learned all the nuances of what was happening with the Meek Lake Accords Correct. and with the, the, 
the dynamics between the, the Quebecois. I'm going really deep. I'm sorry, but the, the difference, you know, but, it, it was all these different. I didn't even know they were called Quebecois until I started reading. So now, if you just control effing it, you're you're effing it, right? But that's <laughs> but that's what they're doing, and that's really the next generation. Like, how many people can tell me what's the origins of the United States anthem? Oh, I know, I know. I'm a nerd. Yeah, Bob, do you know? No, I don't. I'll, be, I'll admit, I don't. It was a drinking song. Unless, unless, Chris, unless Chris told me. It was okay. a drinking song that was being disparaging towards the colonialists. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's the origins of it. But nobody knows, nobody that, knows that. that. Exactly. Right. So if this is what's happening, how do we as technologists start to embrace that and start looking at that? I think the best is identifying that's going on. And then we could start trying to figure out how do we help people who don't want to know the details get the information so they can speed through DMV in eight minutes or less. <laughs> well, even in terms of chat GPT, like let's say there's a book, not your book per se, but a book that I want to read, but I just don't have the time. Mm -hmm. I, I've done this. I've asked chat GPT, give me a summary of chapter four of X book. And I got it. And it was two paragraphs. Correct. Instead of 30 pages. But you also can do it where you can say, summarize it in somebody else's tone. I like putting it in, explain it like I'm a 10-year-old. <laughs> and I do that because I like it because I'm able to quickly read it and say, okay, do I need more in-depth? And I'm like, okay, real summarize it or summarize it like I'm a professor. And then it will do it in those personalities. I've been finding BARD to work a little bit better than ChatGPT because it has accurate and up-to-date information because I'm not paying for uh, either any of the AI products. So I want to know what's currently going on, and BARD can do that. Also, you can find any website you like, and you could throw it into an AI. Even if it's not like in their system, it will go summarize it and scan it and get you more information. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like I'm playing right now with the 9-11 commission with a report that's 585 pages. I will never read in my life. I basically put in an AI and said, please summarize in two paragraphs. And it did. I was like, oh. okay, that's great. <laughs> you know, as you were saying that and this being about the time of year we're all gathering our paperwork here in the U.S. to pay our taxes, what's the future of accounting? Oh, yeah. Right? The changes like why do I have to like have all these forms coming from everywhere else and things like that or say find me the most deductions because I donated toys to savers correct that's, yeah that's a great idea right yeah uh, or or tell me where I can actually have more deductions on my taxes here's my general earnings here's this what do mm -hmm. I have to do to be more efficient mm -hmm. or you do it like in December before the end of the year Right. And they do it and says, okay, go to savers and make sure you get these receipts or whatever else. Or there could be tricks where you could buy stuff on clearance at savers on a certain day and then donate it back and basically have that as a, a fake deduction that can do stuff. Wow. You never know as they do it. But I'm sure the AI models have ways of how to basically be your accountant. Wow, the accounting industry is about, is in big trouble, I think. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, I think all these changes are going to change everything we think of. Yeah, and I'm just thinking in terms of what we do here at the library. Right. You know, with, with makerspaces, you know, I'll collaborate with librarians in other buildings, you know, in other, other libraries. 
saying this is what we're doing here, this is what we're doing there, and it, it's right now we use like a Google group to mm-hmm. compare. But imagine how it would be like you were saying before if we had a collective where there's one like like Google Groups where we put information. Okay, everybody wants to 3D print these lightsabers. Here's the file, everybody, and it's already sliced. Right. And it's already sliced. Here's a slice for Prusa. Here's a slice for MakerBot. Here's a slice for this. So you just go, you grab it, bang, and you're there. It's cutting the middleman out. Correct. It's cutting the middleman out. Nobody's following, nobody's having to do it or whatever else. And you can do it with anything as you start thinking about it more and more. Because everybody uses different software. You're going to use different software. Bob's going to use different ones. But if you have even have a list of, here's the software that people use for podcasting and whatever else, so you can just say, you know what? I can collaborate with this person because I know this, they know that. We can help patrons, and we're giving them a better experience as we think about things go. So, Jeez, this is crazy stuff. Yeah, but also, like, we're recording right now with these big mics and everything else. You can do all this with an iPhone. That's true. Why eventually do we need a studio and a booth? We were just talking about that before, and here's, here's a little behind the scenes. If you listen to an episode that I released about two episodes ago about with the East End Tech Coalition, I forgot my mixing board. So what did I do? I recorded it with the uh, mic on the iPad, and I ran it through some AI, mm-hmm. and it cleaned it up. It equalized levels, took out the echo, took out the background noise, and it sounds like we recorded it right here in the studio. That's so for the you podcast fans that haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and listen to it. Exactly. But that definitely that's what you start seeing is people doing this stuff. Absolutely. I have a little lapel mic, and I was recording – where's my wife? I went to uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, and I was walking to recording something, and I went and listened to it. I didn't hear anybody talking to me, and there was a guy sitting right next to me talking. Didn't even notice it. Well, like, it's even with Bob because, Bob, you're in, you're in the server room, and you've had people come in, and I don't even hear the door, the door closing. Or other times when you were recording – um, from your home, and you said the landscapers were there, and we didn't hear a single thing. Oh, the dogs and the landscapers, yeah. Yeah. So uh, new days are coming. Yeah. This Absolutely. is what's happening. This so. whole just doing this, what we're doing now, can change. Correct. I mean, and just think in terms of right now, something happened with Zoom with their audio quality. Bob's audio quality, I mean, obviously the mic makes a difference, but Bob, it sounds like you're almost in the room with us. Really? That much yeah. better, huh? Yeah, it really oh, is. And this, this isn't a high-end. This is a wired mic, but it's not It's not a high-end wired mic at all. Yeah. So, and, you know, there are a lot of people that use Zoom now to record their podcast instead of doing it the way I'm doing it with a mixing board and blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. it, it, and, you know, it's in, in terms of podcasting, right, just mm-hmm. look off-road for a second, if I were to start today, I probably wouldn't use the products I'm using now because Spotify has figured it out. They bought, I think it was Anchor. Yep, they did. Where... Okay, we're doing this. So instead of, Bob, you logging into Zoom and then us pulling your audio from there, your audio is going to Spotify. Our audio is going to Spotify. It breaks it into separate tracks, and it records it at a third-party location. It preps it, creates the episode for you. So all you need to do is put in your show notes and your tags, and there it is. Yeah, well, I did my podcast. I did one on Find My Path. I have about four or five episodes, and I just haven't been able to continue with it. But I did it all through Anchor and Spotify. Yeah, I didn't have to do anything. And I didn't need the apps, whatever. It cleaned it up. I want music. It said, choose your music. Exactly. I put my music in, gave me a break, whatever. I'm like, this is the simplest thing in the world. Everybody should be doing this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's come a long way, I guess. Huh? Yeah, long way from 2013, huh, Bob? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I, Dave, you mentioned something before about change and, and um, sometimes the best kind of change is when people don't realize that they're changing. Um, I'd love to go back to that for a second because sure. I had a thought that that also stops fear and intimidation from coming in too, right? Because so many people are afraid of it. So when we say we're going to do this thing on Friday or do this thing on Tuesday or oh my, watch out, AI is coming. But if, if you work with them to sort of melt into it over time or you show them something and they adapt to it that way uh, and they're changing without knowing it, uh, that removes a lot of the fear factor, doesn't it? It completely does. And you have to start thinking about it. I'm lucky my father's still alive and he's in his 80s and he's afraid of technology. He basically has his iPad and that's what he uses. But basically by me going in in that way of saying, how about you do this? And he doesn't know he's trying something new. He just is like, okay, this will help me do what I had to do. I go, yes. And it makes him just work better. Like he likes to plan going into the city and traveling. He doesn't want to know all these different websites and whatever else. He's like, just make it simple for me. And I think that's the way to do it. And I think you're right, Bob, as you start grabbing on to having people change when they don't know they're changing is going to be something if you can do, you can probably have a job for life. Yeah, and it's just adaptability at Correct. this point. It really, really is. It's mind-blowing. So, Dave, you wrote a book. I'm interested in this <laughs> next question. Well, because I actually wrote down the title of it so I can I can um, request it. Oh, well, did I get one? I can give you one. Well, you should. Yeah. Sign it first, though, please. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love it. So so in case our listeners don't know yet, um, Dave wrote a book called Leadership Takes Courage, How to Master Leadership, A Fable of Transformation with Proven Techniques, um, which, which I'm most interested in because I think there's a distinct difference between leadership and management. Mm-hmm. Uh, so leaderships are they actually make people believe in themselves when those people can't even see it. Uh, and managing is pretty much just telling people what to do, um, even if it's the wrong direction. Uh, so tell us about the book and how it can be applied to library management. Then. So the book came out of what I did in a makerspace that I built from $1,500 to a, I guess we had a million dollar budget over time. And I had to build it with students. And that's all I had to do. So what I did, I took the concepts of how to empower people and what do you have to do to do that. And I turned it into a team leadership fable that talks about a wolf's journey in figuring out how to manage his business. His business is home building. And going through that process of what do you have to do and how do you empower people so that people really understand. One of the big things about in any sort of leadership is communication and transparency. We sometimes don't do that as good leaders And we have to get over ourselves because we really need to say, you know what, here's my everything on the table. By doing that, it may give people too much information, but they will at least know what's going on. As we start figuring that out, that's some of the stuff I cover in the book as I do that. I also cover this concept of basically you as a leader have to do things to make people succeed. So I believe in this concept that says – You have to plow the field, you have to catch the rain, and then be a sounding board. What that means is, if you want to get anything done, 
you first have to prep what they're trying to do as a leader. You can't just say, go do this. And that's so much of what we want to delegate so much, but we have to make sure that people are on board, our, our superiors are on board, stakeholders are on board, and people are, this is something we can do. That's plowing the field and making it ready. Then sometimes you have to catch the rain. It's catching the bullshit that's always going to come down. Excuse my language. But there's always this stuff that comes down that's always going to affect it. If you can catch and divert anything that's not on the objective, you're going to be empowering your people to succeed. And that's one of those things that where catching the rain comes in. The last one is be a sounding board for your people. Let them just come back and tell you stuff. And listen, don't give them advice or whatever else. Just listen to what they say and then ask open-ended questions. If you can do that, it will help them come up with the answers and then be empowered and be a leader. As you do that, you're growing your next leader in your organization and you're empowering. That's why I said leadership takes courage because you're giving up your responsibility and you're helping them to be successful. We need to do that every way. And this focuses a lot on that team aspect as we do it. Well, you know, it makes a lot of sense because I know what I do here is a lot of that, where it's it's those memes where the leader is standing on the podium and pulling somebody up as opposed to being behind them and pushing them onto the podium. Correct. Or leading from the front by being the first person in line pulling the thing versus the person on the throne being pulled. Yeah, and there's so many times where I've seen it where leaders just are sitting in the offices and they're not down in the dirt with other people. And I think when you are down the dirt, your people respect you, and then you can basically make a change so you can be that leader as you do it. And that's where the book's going into is it's starting to think about it. It's written from a fable slide, and then it's given uh, information on how to do it in real life. But I find that the fable is something people can relate to a whole bunch, and it keeps them interested. And as we've talked about people skim, you want to have a way where people stay interested and dynamic as they do it. Right. Introduce, tell it as a story as opposed to a how-to book. Correct. nobody wants to read a how-to book, they're usually compelled to read a how-to book by somebody else. Yeah, or they're reading it for college or whatever else, and it's just never going to get a broader appeal. Right. So in terms of makerspaces... I've heard so many people ask, what's next? Most makerspaces, you know, have a struggle more with funding than the equipment that can be added. So what do you see, assuming funding is there, obviously? Correct. Um, in terms of makerspaces that are mainstays, things that should be added, maybe that aren't added, and what the future of these spaces are, because... Everybody's got the 3D printers. Some people have the laser engravers. Some people have a recording studio. So everybody's got a cricket and a mug press and a heat press and sublimation printing. It's almost as though it went from trailblazing to cookie cutter. Correct. And some of it is obviously the sharing, which is what we do great in Suffolk County and also now encompassing Nassau County, sharing mm -hmm. what we do and what we know. Because it's not a competition. We're all helping each other out. But the, the question that I know I get asked all the time is what's the next big thing? And you could say something like, you know, AI, but, you know, that's like saying change. You know, what does that mean? Well, I think if you want to say AI and look at it from that perspective of if you focus on ChatGPT, Bard, and Copilot, AI can actually start being that guiding standpoint to get people to start thinking about using it. And 
if you can basically have the makerspace be the AI experts anyway, like I've done a lot with prompt engineering where I'm able to get more information from an AI model than most people do because I'll think about how that question is done. And us as technologists in makerspaces, we think about what's the person really asking us? Are they asking us to produce something that's a 3D printed model or are they asking us to laser cut something and how to do it? Because we know the technology. I think that's the first thing we as makerspace experts can do is understand the AI models and how to get the right information. If we can do that, we can start to evolve and say, okay, now are we going from a physical to a virtual setup? Because I think makerspaces need to evolve into some part of being virtual. And what is that virtual way of doing it? I thought AI is that first step into doing it because I like a lot of librarians, but sometimes they can't think in the way of step by step to do it. I have this process where you actually go into a model and I first say, good morning, how are you doing today? And it will say, oh, I have no feelings at all, but I'm doing fine. How can I help you? And I'm like, well, I'm thinking of this idea and I think of a very general idea. I'll say, look, I'm thinking about the United States and the United States history. And it's like, oh, well, what do you want to know about the United States history? I'm like, well, if the United States history was done, developed from 1776, and I'll prompt it along the way to really get my question to ask about the author, where the anthem came from, the answer will be a ton better than if I just ask, what's the history of the United States anthem? Because it basically knew where I was going from a logical stepway. And I think we have that ability already existing in makerspaces as we do it. I think that's where we can take our smartness and start to use it in a virtual way. And that's the first change I see. But I also see it as if these technology of now starting to make AI videos, AI photos, and whatever else, forget about all the fakes that's going on. But could we help people to do that and put it on laser cutter engravers? Can we do it other things by us using the technology to do it? And that would help our patrons get better results as we do it because we're helping them. It's a lot to take in. Like yeah. Just as you were saying that, you know, one of the things that was a kind of something from the pandemic that hasn't gone away is the chatting with patrons. Right. How cool would it be? And this is something that I had talked about when we first were proposing doing something, was having a way for patrons to virtually have a meeting or a, an appointment with mm -hmm. someone saying, I want to do this, I want to do that. And then we would do it without, you know, like a, a touchless you know, interaction. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily something that could be feasible now um, because the reference interview is hard enough in person. Correct. But doing that reference interview and trying to articulate what needs to be done and maybe the person who's trying to be articulate is inarticulate and can't really get out what they want to say. So right. all these things are going through my brain as, as you're saying all this. Yeah, well, it's just a whole new thought process as you do it because we've always been that leaders in technology. We have to continue to be those leaders. Right. What are those AI products, AI software? Look, everybody's got an iPhone. Everybody's got an Android, an iPhone or Android. They've all got these products. But how do they know what products to put on their phones? There's a million out there on the App Store. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what to put on my phone. 
I'm not just going to load some random game, but if we have some ability of knowing what those are to help people make that jump, then we can be those change makers again in the maker space or whatever it turns into industry. It's a lot to take in. Because how do you take a, a simple AI bot and make it work for you? Right. And make it work for you within the context of the department or the space or even the individual piece of technology. So ask AI to make, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this, make a Pokemon. Correct. <laughs> you know, make a Pikachu, but make it with this kind of tail and that kind of this and other things. And, and yeah. that way it, it generates it for you. But are you thinking about, I know we laser cut things for companies and everything else. Well, now I want my logo here with uh, this kind of car that just came out on the market. It can make the image, and I've seen it do it. Now, let's say, okay, now it can do it. Now can we take that into my AI file and do it and produce it? Make it a vector file. Make it a vector file and then produce it on a laser cutter without doing anything. And we had the knowledge of how to just, all the person was was, I've got this logo, I want to do something with this. But you had the knowledge and the expertise to do that. To refine it. And that's what's going to keep you at that cutting edge, which is where we need to be. It's a lot to take in. It really is. It's mind-blowing, Bob. It's fun. I, I think AI, if it's done right, will be able to help. Um, we talked about taking out the middleman. I hope take away the frustration that is currently from A to Z for a patron or for uh, anybody trying to get something done with technology. Like you were saying before, Chris, uh, it didn't have airdrop, so you were doing three or four steps. I hope AI will kind of melt everything together so that we can go from A to Z and there may be 19 steps in between, but it'll appear, it'll appear from, from A to B for us because uh, AI will be handling all that junk in the background uh, and, and actually make us uh, a little bit more, um, hopefully make us more time, make our time management skills uh, more effective because we'll have more us time, right? Does that make any sense? Oh, it makes exactly sense. That's what you're trying to do is get more time back. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dave, through Stony Brook University, you've been having students embrace the idea of entrepreneurship. Uh, tell us how teaching this concept can be difficult and how makerspaces encourage entrepreneurship. Well, students all have side hustles now, and that's really the new thing they're doing. They're trying to sell stuff on eBay and everywhere else, Etsy, but they don't understand what it takes to understand who their customers are. Most people don't understand that. Because they just think, oh, I can sell this product and do it. I met a student yesterday who sells stickers on Etsy. And she's like, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I sell here. I said, well, who do you sell them to? Oh, I don't know. Anybody who orders. I'm like, well, you don't know who your customer is and how to figure that out. And I think teaching that is really an important concept. And I think the same thing as we think about it from our makerspace side is Who's our specific audience we're targeting? Are we targeting people who are in their 50s and trying to experiment? Are we targeting families? Are we trying teenagers? If we can start figuring out specifically, use those entrepreneurial skills and figure out specifically our three target markets or target people, we'll be able to make products and services that target those people correctly. When we start just saying we're targeting everybody, it's really hard to actually be successful. And as I think about in any sort of way, we have to use those skills to start figuring that out. 
if you think about any sort of big product and what they do, what does Google do? It provides search, but what's it doing? It's selling ads. That's really what they're doing. As we think about it, what is our aspect? They're selling ads for a specific audience, technology people who they prefer young because young will stay with them forever. That's what they're looking for. We have to do the same thing. Who's our target market? We're not targeting middle schoolers. We're usually targeting families, but what age are those families and what are they doing? And how do we keep those families with us as they evolve into elder years, whatever else? Look, I'm thinking of the next stage in life. I will use a maker space, but I'm not sure how it adds value. Because as I get older, I'm like, oh, I have more time. I'm not just going to go experiment as much. But maybe I will. What's that target? And I think that's one of those things I've had a lot of difficulty teaching people is thinking in that kind of way. Thinking very specifically, I'm targeting a 40-year-old mother who makes 75 grand, who wants to have stickers for her daughter and her daughter's friend's computer. That's what they're targeting. By starting to think very specifically, you're starting to use those concepts for what we're trying to do. And I think that's what we need to do is make those personas that businesses and entrepreneurs use all the time and turn it into what we're thinking about. It's a little bit of analytics that are there, but you have to understand. And it also, like, look, eBay is a really wide casting net. Right. Etsy is a wide casting net. But if you go someplace else that's you know, is a specific type of site that spells, sells a specific type of thing. Like, let's say, I don't know, fire collecting Fire King, you know, um, depression glass. Right. That's a very targeted market, and you're probably going to be attracting people in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Correct. They may be male or female, depending on the type of thing they're selling. And I can't believe I'm using depression glass as an example. <laughs> this is horrible. But something that came into your mind as you think about it right. as a very yeah. specific audience that would want that. And it's a targeted audience. And you don't want to necessarily just put that on eBay because you're not going to get the same results as you would at a targeted site. Maybe there's an auction site just for Fire King glass. But if you think about kitchen cabinets, who is the target market for a kitchen cabinet? Kitchen cabinet is a homeowner, usually a family, that want to do renovation on their house. Mm -hmm. They're the specific target market from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So you know that, and if you start to figure that out, it can help us to market our services better. And that's what you have to figure out for any entrepreneur doing it. If they just have this wide target net, nobody's gonna be successful. Being more specific in today's day and age is gonna make everybody successful. That's why they all call those words about niching down to a specific thing. You have to have it really specific in order to be that next stage of services in use. Makes a lot of sense. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that also give the person time to, I mean, get established and build their product business and then see where their market fits and maybe grow? Yeah. You know. That's exactly what the point of it is as you do it is you can do that. Then you can market to that audience, and then you can grow and expand from there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and learn from mistakes. Correct. Because that's the only way you learn. And be second to market. Never be first. That's right. <laughs> fail, fail forward and be second to market. Be second exactly. to market. That's, that's, yeah. that's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, this has been great. 
I'm so glad you came back on. We appreciate you taking the time to come see us. Anytime. This was great. And, you know, it, there's so much here. Again, the book is called Leadership Takes Courage. You can find it on Amazon. Um, you know, I'm going to take a read on it. And then there's Wolf's Path, Five Lessons for Success. It's another book that Dave wrote. Check them out um, on Amazon. And we'll put links to all this stuff in the, sh in the show notes. Thank you so much for Thanks your for time. coming on. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. We have come to the end of another episode of The Library Pros, and we thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments on this or any episode, click on the Contact Us form on our website, thelibrarypros.com. Visit us on Twitter at The Library Pros, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. Don't forget to tell a friend or colleague, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and are not those of any other library. See you next time. <laughs>